Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Hello and welcome to the Hope Week podcast. I'm Hope Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Bluebell Cottage Gardens and nursery owner Sue Beasley. So welcome Sue. Hello Matt. And now you've got gardens, you've got retail nursery, you've got a cafe. Um all in Cheshire. So how do you manage it all? Well, I guess I'm used to um, running sort of in the IT business I was in before I sort of looked after every aspect of the business except for making the technology work. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm a natural multitasker. And uh, if I haven't got lots of interesting and different things to do, I get a bit bored. So it's right up my street. Excellent. So your your background, you worked in IT for for many years, but you've been a horticulturist for many years too. Yes. Um, I came into horticulture as a complete amateur as a um, age 45. I think one of the great things about horticulture is it's a fabulous industry for people to come into as a second, third or even fourth um, career. And uh, very briefly, I met Beth Chatto once in my very first year that I started the nursery and she looked over her glasses and said, isn't it wonderful to see young people coming into horticulture? And of course, at that point, I, in IT, I felt like a dinosaur. So, yeah, what a great place to be. That's very flattering. Oh, well, what a great mentor. Um, yeah. So, so you, you grow 700 different perennials and propagate them too. too. So that's, that's, uh, that's a, lot of, a lot of different plants. So wh- which are the ones which you like growing best? Which ones, which ones sell best and grow best and do best for you? Well, it keeps changing. Um, over the years to start with I just carried on growing the hardy perennials that the original nursery because I, I bought the nursery in 2007 so initially I just carried on but then some things didn't sell some things didn't didn't grow very well so each year we sort of dropped some and carried some forward with a view to really just trying to refine what makes an absolutely brilliant garden plant for anyone and so sort of 80 to 90% of the plants that we grow here are just good, solid, 
hardy varieties that are tried and trusted and grow well in the garden here. Um, and we, we're, we're in Cheshire, so it's in the northern half of the country, but we're on a nice sandy south-facing slope. So it's quite a good test of whether a plant's hardy or not. We do get cold winters, um, but we're not as exposed as some places. So we're just trying to nail down what we think are cracking plants. Um, at the moment, the plants that are really shining are asters uh, in the garden. Little Carlo just looks stunning. It's an old plant, it's been going for years, but it just looks fantastic and is very easy to grow. So that's our sweet spot, I think. Brilliant. Now, you obviously sell from the nursery, but mm. also mail order and shows. Yes. So how how does that mix work for you? Well, how, what's the proportions and what what's growing and, and falling in, in that area? Yes. So the visitors to the nursery obviously dipped in the pandemic and that was, a, with hindsight, a phenomenally interesting research opportunity for many businesses, myself included. I think without the garden to visit, the nursery as a standalone place to come in and buy plants probably wouldn't be viable. Well, you know, we're off, off a main road, you've got to come and find us. Um, but so the combination of having a, a reason to visit which is frankly to have a nice time, um, wander around the gardens, have a cup of tea and a slice of cake. And then people start to build confidence in the plants because they've seen them in the garden. Um, so actually the trio of the nursery that's open, the gardens and the tea room acts as an integrated whole for us. The online side became inevitable, frankly, and because of my IT background, I was relatively confident with the specification of that, and that's worked very well. And the shows, um, it's a lot of PR. You know, you, it's massively hard work going along to a show and building the displays and keeping all the stock back to build the display with and learning the art and the, the craft of it. But the PR is fabulous, particularly once you start to get good gold medals. And increasingly now we get visitors coming in and even before they've looked round, the first thing they ask is, are you going to be at Tatton? And it definitely, it, it, it excites people, the thought that they're going to see us at the shows and it's great for sales and good for PR too. No, well, you're big on social media as well, which I guess, mm. I guess must be good for PR, but um, what? why do you um, go so big on, on social media? What, what does it do for you professionally, do you think? Well, it has changed over the years. My first introduction to Twitter was as a deeply reluctant uh, gardener who just didn't see the point. But a PR company that Cheshire Gardens were working with at the time persuaded me. And I reluctantly let them set up at Sue Beasley as a Twitter account, which oh, I'm so grateful that they, that they did that for me. Um, and I found that very quickly, Horticultural journalists were using Twitter as a place to find stories and find people. And Cheshire's hardly the back and beyond, but I think the, the, the critical mass of horticulture is, is that, you know, there's a lot of it in the southeast. And Twitter for me was a way of engaging with both a gardening audience online, um, but critically actually with the media. And I don't know, I don't know what to extent that's still, that's still the case, but it, it's still, it, I find out so much, you know, I'm, I, I do post a bit on Twitter, but it's been a wonderful source of 
information and ideas and leads and introductions to people and, and a way of chatting to the wider garden community. That is changing and I, um, I'm still there. Uh, I'm waiting for someone to invite me to Blue Sky. <laughs> but apparently you need an access code and I haven't got one yet. Um, Facebook, I think, is wonderful for engaging with your immediate customers and direct followers. But I think to a certain extent, we're all still waiting to see what will replace the marvel that has been Twitter. Ah, interesting. Um, now... Um, how do you find time to do it all? Because you've got like you're juggling quite a few things there with with the nursery and the shows, the cafe, you know, the social media, the you know, the marketing. You know, all all, all nursery people are sort of have to have to sort of be jacks of all trades. But how do you how do you find the time? Well, I delegate, um, and I I know that that's perhaps for me that's a completely normal and natural thing to do. Once I know how to do something well. Frankly, I would rather show somebody else how to do it and let them crack on and become better than I could ever be at it. Um, Because I always want to sort of think about what's new and what's next. So that is my instinct. So maybe there's that. The tea room, I go in, make myself a brew, see if there's any spare bits of cake and walk out again. I leave that to lovely Jess uh, to run. And increasingly, I'm, I'm not stepped away from the nursery at all, but in terms of practical day-to-day work I went in this morning to the girls and I we tipped out three great big pots of offia pogon I did the first couple of divisions showed them how to do it they're dead happy I've walked away left them it left them to it coming to chat to you and that for me is actually how you run a business and it always has been um I love it watching people get quicker and faster than me and it's great so that's one answer is is actually learn when to step back delegation no i like it no yeah no just before we were talking in, um before we started this about barriers to expansion and that's 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 mm. a, an area you're you're sort of interested in is it an area in in british horticulture which is is an issue so what what do you think the barriers yeah. to expansion are well i think the many i think um the brexit decision I think was followed by an awful lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, it'll just be fine. We'll just expand horticultural production in the UK. And the initial difficulties or the potential difficulties of of importing will just be dealt with by that. But, you know, unlike, if if, I don't know, lots of other businesses, if you want to start a business, um, you, you can go along and look for retail premises to rent or office premises or industrial units to let and you just get on and you crack on but horticulture is different you need you need land and you need structures and land is expensive and under huge competition for potential other purposes i give you a classic example i was trying to bid to buy 10 acres of land and i was outbid by a guy who wanted to run an electric um uh, not scooter park you know one of these like track track day type things and then there's obviously property and people holding land in case it goes for planning at some point. So first of all, there's availability of suitable land and the cost of it. And even if you get over that hurdle, you've got planning permission over polytunnels and structures. Well, that's not a given. It can take a long time. So there's all of there's that fundamental. We have not embraced horticulture as a 
rate land use in the UK in the way that our northern European cousins um, have done over the last few decades. Because we were one great trading unit, we let the Dutch crack on with it and out, effectively outsourced horticultural production to to them in, 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 in large measure. Second one, I think, is when I first took over this nursery, I was a student at Reese Heath College and I went to ask my then horticultural lecturer, well, kind of where's the manual? How do I do this? Where's, where's the how to run a nursery book that I've obviously missed on the shelf? And uh, my lecturer then, Harry Delaney, who I'm sure some of your listeners will, will, will know of by by personally, if not by repute, so it scratched his head and he said, "Well, you know, where you know love, it's 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 not quite like that. It's it's kind of handed down. You know, each nursery is different, and to kind of learn down the generations. And that's if you think about it, it's extraordinarily true. If you walk around the shows and you look at many of the exhibits, an awful lot of them are second generation or even third, and the how to of growing is so often." Um, acquired through experience and and family know-how. So there's there's a lot of that. A lot of that knowledge is just embedded in the in that. And I think the third thing for me is it's horticulture. Essentially, it's there's very low recognition of it as a professional skill. Um, it's still in large areas considered to be you know mowing and blowing and you know deadheading or whatever and. Uh, but as a horticulturalist, you're thinking every day, what, what's up with this plant? What can I, how do I do this? And that accumulated and learned skill is seriously undervalued. So I think those are the three big issues for me. No, indeed. So do you have plans to expand? I did have. Uh, I, so about three or four years ago, I had plans to really try to build what I felt was missing in in certainly in the northern half of the UK which was a cracking wholesale nursery of good hardy perennials and there's huge capacity missing from the UK market in that arena but I, I, I don't have deep enough pockets and I've been there in terms of running businesses and taking those big risks and short of a really big partner to do it with and I'm 62, which is dead young, I know. But I think I think that moment may have passed. What I am doing is really trying to work hard on the land I've got. We've just expanded, cleared a massive area of brambles, um, levelled it. It's much bigger than I thought. And I think that should give us capacity to grow about another 30,000 plants a year, which is a nice big increase for us. But it's it's not a drop, frankly, in terms of what the UK, I think, could grow and should grow if we could just get past those barriers. No, that's great news. And you do have developments happening. Like you're um, very keen on solar PV and mm. heat pumps and uh, you, you're big on promoting them. So yeah. um, how did you get into that? I, I kind of can't remember a time when I haven't been interested, if I'm absolutely honest with you. It, it's very deep, long beginnings. Um, I did an open university degree in my 30s and one of the modules I was itching to do was renewable energy with no thought any at all at the time that I would do any of this but then when solar pv had a brief flurry of of investment through the feed and tariffs in the early yeah I put mine in in 2011 and it's it 
you know, Matthew, it's a complete no-brainer. If you've got southeast or west-facing roof, everybody I know who's put them up has looked at the electricity production and consumption and just been astonished. Most people who haven't got them think, oh, well, you know, it'll generate maybe 10, 15, 20% of what I need on a sunny day. The answer is on a sunny day in Cheshire, the, the panels on the front of my house, which are now 12 years old, and it's just an ordinary house, generate between 120 and 200% of what my my house uses on a daily on a on a on a daily basis. Now clearly in winter it's a lot lower. Um but from March to September, yeah we buy a bit from the grid, but my standing charge is higher than my electric bill. Um and I think people just need to see it and see the numbers and look at it and you know, my, my daughter's put them on, my neighbours, everybody that's come around here and seen the panels and seen the figures, seen the data for real, uh, just kind of walks away and says, yeah, I'm having that. And it's so much cheaper now. When I first put my panels up, electricity was a quarter the price it is now, and the panels were double the price. So if you, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's an eightfold improvement in the economics, and it's great. That's sounds pretty convincing. And what about the the heat pumps? Yeah. How did you get how did you get into that? Well, I got into that because my solar panels produced me a surplus for most of the year. And because of that, I put a couple of batteries in. And then I quickly realized that although the batteries are fantastic for storing my surplus solar, in the winter you can buy cheap rate electricity at night and stuff them in your batteries and then use them all day. So my cost of electricity overall is, is just through the floor uh, compared to... It, it, we're talking an ordinary three-bedroom house here with a garage on the side. It really is not anything special. So from the solar PV came the batteries. And then from there, thinking, well, hang on a minute. My oil boiler is noisy. It's smelly. It's fossil fuels. Um, what can I do to maybe get rid of this? So I've been following the heat pump debate closely for a good 18 months or so. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Telegraph subscriber. I read all the negative stories that are being pumped out every day. So it's not like I'm completely naive. But then I just thought, no, I'm going to sue this. And if I want to pull out, I can pull out. Um, but it's in, it's commissioned, it's working. And one thing I've really learned is we take so much for granted about the way we currently do things. And then when somebody challenges that, everybody gets panicky. But here's a thought for you. In order to heat our houses to 21 degrees, we heat water using an oil boiler or gas to 50 or 60 degrees. And then we pump that round and then we turn it on or off, depending on where the house temperature is. What a heat pump system says is, Right, so you want your house at 20 degrees. So I think 30 might do. So let's pump hot water around at 30 degrees. And it takes a little bit longer, but then you get there. And then it sits there very nicely, just chugging 30 degree water around your radiators. And you touch the radiators and they don't feel warm. But that's because our body temperatures are 37 degrees. So you have this period of self-doubt, but then you look at your room temperature and it's warm and you realize it's just maintaining this nice evenness 
And uh, yeah, it's a different way of thinking, but it, it works brilliantly. Well, that's very innovative and hopefully it's an inspiration to, to other growers. Now, there is another string to your bow as well, which is um, your work with the RHS yeah. at Bri- Bridgewater and now uh, on the on the herbaceous plant committee vice chair and also now on the council from this year and you've just had your first meeting so what's that like oh it's it's seriously exciting i tell you um i run i run a small business now in bluebell it's lovely it's divine i love the people i love the plants but i do have i think capacity to do a bit more and i've got the time to give a bit more back um so I started, I was just asked if I would help with the GM trial and then one thing led to another. And last year I got a call to see if I would apply to go um, on the RHS Council. And they were looking to strengthen the horticultural um, membership. But I think the fact that my business background is there as well kind of added to that. Um, you know, when I was, my application was approved, they said, we, you know, we see you as an all-rounder. And I think that's what I'm trying to bring is that connection between horticulture and business and sustainability um, and hopefully come at it from a multidimensional point of view. And clearly the contents of the council meeting are confidential, but I can tell you I'm seriously impressed, not just with the calibre of people sitting around that council table, the mix of expertise that they've got, uh, the breadth and the depth, but with the way it's run, um, Keith Weed is a relatively new president. A couple of people said to me, "How are you going to cope? You know, organisations like this—it's all very slow. Meetings take for hours. Oh no, it's sharp. It's well managed. The papers are presented. It's assumed that you've read them. The meetings are crisply and well managed. And I, and I am." I think it's fantastic, and I'm I'm there for the long haul if they'll have me. Oh, brilliant news! And you you're doing a lot with Bridgewater as well. So yeah. how are you in, much are you enjoying Bridgewater developing? Well, well, first of all, for the years, other northern growers and gardens and I have been saying that the northwest deserves and ought to have its own garden. So I didn't know it was coming. It was a fantastically well kept secret, as it should have been. But the first I heard, I just, I was so excited. And then they asked me if I would join the advisory panel, partly really to bring a northern, I'm not a northern, I grew up in the southeast, but I've I've been up here 30 years and grown for 20. So I think they wanted that experience of growing in the northwest to, to bring. And I could not be more proud and more excited and more thrilled about what Bridgewater is, what it brings to the Northwest. And I know it will just continue to to act as a kind of foundation and a a pivotal central point for horticultural um, expertise and growth in in the Northwest. Uh, It's a massive privilege to be part of it. Like anything else, it's an early stage. People will have things to say about what it should or shouldn't have or shouldn't do. Hey, look, we're two years into a 100-year journey here get stuck in let's enjoy it and and join the journey oh brilliant now it's autumn and you close for the winter so is that a, a nice break for you does that or have you plan, do you have plans to open longer or or shorter even yeah well well i have shortened my hours actually we, we we used to open sundays um as well 
we, we now up on Wednesday to Saturday. Um, no, I don't want to open in the winter. I, I know it's a logical progression for some, but because of where we are, we're down a narrow lane on the wrong side of a canal bridge um, and the nursery freezes. It's cold in winter and herbaceous perennials, there's not much to see. So visits, actual footfall visitors, I'm very happy that we close. It gives us time to do projects, rip things apart, get that broken polytunnel repaired. And um, I think for me, what we've tried to do is build shoulder activities so that the online shop helps to widen the, the season for us. Increasingly, we're supplying landscapers, garden designers around the UK, that's been fabulous. Um, and for me, it, does, it is a mental break, but I do do spots of writing and gives me a bit more time for my RHS work as well. So it all hangs together. Just going on to our final question. Is there a particular plant which is your favourite? One, one which you'd take to a, a desert island? Oh, a desert island plant. That's a challenge. Tempted to go for a small tree like Corners Cousa or something wonderfully productive like a quince. But no, I'm going to stick with a perennial and I'm going to go with Dianthus carthusianorum. Uh, wonderful, you know, bright pink sparkles. It'll love being on a desert island with all that well-drained um, soil. And, and importantly, it comes true from seed. I do love a plant that I can propagate myself. So yeah, Dianthus carthusianorum would be my desert island choice. Great. Well, thanks a lot for all that, Sue. I'll let you get back to your, your multitude of tasks, because I'm sure I'm <laughs> building up. But um, <laughs> superb. No, it's been great talking to you. been fascinating insight into, into, your, into your, your business and life. And uh, this has been the Hawk Week Podcast. Uh, make sure you never miss a Hawk Week Podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hawk Week Podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform and once again thanks to sue beasley i'm matt appleby from hot week and goodbye until next time even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.